This is a podcast from the Business Times. Welcome to Property BT, a podcast series by the Business Times. I'm senior correspondent Leslie Yee, and I'll be your host as we gather insights on all things Singapore property to help you in your property investment journey. In Singapore, we like to worry. The government worries over Singapore's long-term future. Parents worry over their children's education and marriage prospects. Young people worry over career prospects. Older people worry over retirement adequacy. The elderly worry over being lonely and left behind by technology. The government, as well as many people, worry over the affordability of homes. Owning private housing in Singapore is an aspiration. Many locals can buy high-quality housing and development board or HDB flats at affordable prices. Yet it matters that young locals can pursue and achieve condo ownership dreams. This can help anchor driven young local talent here. Condos are expensive. A new condo in the suburbs of over 900 square feet can cost 2 million Singapore dollars. I think a cost-effective way to get into private home ownership is to buy an executive condominium or EC home. ECs are way cheaper than condos. A new EC unit may cost over 25% less than a comparable new condo unit. Built and sold by private developers, ECs typically sit on 99-year leasehold land and offer condo features. Typical ECs boast facilities such as swimming pools, a gym, a clubhouse, and so forth. But more restrictions apply to EC home buyers. Buyers of EC units from a developer have to meet certain eligibility criteria. For example, couples need to comprise two Singapore citizens or a citizen and a permanent resident. Singles who apply under the joint single scheme must be citizens and at least 35 years old. Also, a monthly income ceiling of 16,000 Singapore dollars applies. Buyers of new ECs are subject to a minimum occupation period or MOP of five years from project completion. During the MOP, the home cannot be sold or rented out whole. After five years, the said EC unit can be sold to Singapore citizens or permanent residents or rented out whole. After 10 years, the EC unit can be sold to anyone, including foreigners, just like a private condominium. Today, I dive into the EC market with my guest, Lee Zetek, Senior Director of Data Analytics from Hutton's Asia. Zetek, New launches of ECs have been doing well. What is driving the popularity of ECs? One thing is still down to the price difference between the private homes and ECs. So there is still a sizable gap over there. That's why some of those who want to move out to a private living, they turn to the EC as another alternative for them. The qualities as well as the amenities within the EC has really improved tremendously over almost 30 years. So now they are very comparable to what you get in a private project. Right now, if you buy a second property, you need to pay the additional buyer's stamp duty. But for buyers of EC, they are given upfront remission. Zitek, you mentioned the improvement in the quality of EC homes as well as the advantages of buying an EC from the ABSD angle. I guess in buying a home, we also look a lot at the investment angle. Earlier, I said Singaporeans like to worry. I think we also like to complain. Private homes are pricey, but we enjoy a high level of home ownership. 
Also, locals have a wide range of housing types at different price points to choose from. Buying a home is a big-ticket item. One hopes to get a good place to live in. This means having a home that meets a household's needs. One also hopes to make money from buying a home. Work so hard to fund the purchase of a home by servicing a multi-year loan, so better make all that pay off through getting a good financial return. Historically, many people have built wealth from home ownership. One's home is often the single largest asset for many people. Sitik, how would you compare buying an EC unit versus buying a leasehold condo unit and an HDB resale home? Let's look at some of the policies that govern EC. You have that minimum occupation period, whether it's a BTO, a resale flat, or even when you buy a EC. Also, there is an income ceiling. Once you exit, you can't actually buy this product class. Like EC, you are put at 16000 a month, whereas for BTO, you are put at 14000 Resale, there's actually no income ceiling. Over to the private side, you do not need to fulfill this minimum occupation period of five years. But of course, you have the seller's stamp duty, which most people try to wait out that three years so that they do not get taxed by the government. There's no income ceiling put on a person to buy a private property. Renting-wise, I think HDB is also quite strict. You can only rent out the whole unit, whether it's a BTO, resale, or even a EC, after you fulfill the minimum occupation period. For private, straight away from day one, you can rent out the whole unit. Ownership-wise, I think if you want to buy this, we can call it privileged class, HDB and EC, you must make sure that you do not own a private property or you have already disposed of it. There's a minimum time bar for you to fulfill before you can apply again. For private, there's no such time bar. If it's a second one, pay the relevant additional buyer stamp duty. If you want to buy an EC, buy a HDB, the government may step in with some grants if you qualify for them. But the flip side is that when you sell, you may need to pay a resale levy if you buy another subsidized housing from the government. Indeed, buyers have to do their homework. Today, many top developers are active in building ECs. Some EC projects offer facilities, finishings, design and sustainability features that match good condos. Maybe living in an EC is great because households comprise mainly of owner-occupiers. EC residents may put more effort into ensuring a development is well-maintained as this helps preserve the value of the homes. But location, location, location. New ECs are not being built in prime districts. Some ECs are located in fairly far-out locations. At times, access to an MRT station or amenities may not be good. Zitek, do you think one drawback of ECs is that they're often located in far-out, perhaps somewhat inconvenient locations? They are actually meant for HDB upgraders. Most of HDB flats are in the outside central region, so naturally people have the impression that they are far away. But that is the nature of how the policy and this asset class came about. But to say whether they are inconvenient, it need not really be, because over time the mass rapid transit network matures. You have more and more EC, they are actually nearer to a MRT or to a transit station, and some even near to an integrated transport hub. So the connectivity-wise has actually been much better compared to in the 90s. And I think we count at least you have 20 ECs minimum. There are actually 500 meters or less to an MRT station. Your recent EC launches near MRT station, you will have projects like Copenhagen, Tnet near the upcoming Cross Island Line station. 
we also have ECs that are actually near to very popular schools with ACS primary moving over to Tengah that actually push up the popularity of the whole Tengah estate and also the ECs within the one kilometer to ACS primary. So I wouldn't say that you're going to stay in very inconvenient places because right now we have very good transit options for people and they can get to different parts of our island easily. You have made some very valid points. I think ECs can be a sensible housing choice for young locals. Enjoy condo-type living at a more affordable price. No need to take on such a big loan and get more space with an EC unit versus a condo. Certainly, do your homework to see whether a particular location works for you. Also be mindful of the 5-year MOP. This reduces one's flexibility. Nonetheless, when buying a home, one's focus should be on the long term. A 5-year MOP seems very reasonable. Many EC locations can work, including far-out ones. The MRT network is expanding. Decentralised office locations are developing, and the amenities in many areas are improving. Thus, every location, island-wide, can be a good location. Still to come, should a young couple buy an EC as their first home? Lens on Singapore, a monthly podcast series from the Business Times podcast team on current affairs, societal issues and government policies explored through the lens of how it impacts us here in Singapore and in the region. Anchored by Clarissa Montero and Howie Lim, every third Monday of the month. And now, back to Property BT from the Business Times. We have looked at some of the pros and cons of buying ECs. We are seeing EC projects attract strong demand from home buyers as they offer a good value proposition. Zitik, I think you have done some work showing how owning ECs helps people build wealth. Many people have made good profits from selling their EC homes. Zitik, can you give some advice? When is a good time to sell one's new EC home? We did that study sometime in July this year. So we were comparing the first owner of EC versus the second owner of EC and what is the better holding period with relation to the profits that they stand to make. Out of the match transactions that we have, the 5,000 plus of them, three of them are loss-making. They occur before the owners met the five-year minimum occupation period. The first advice to buyers is that do not sell before the minimum occupation period. Although the chances is low, there is a possibility that you may make losses. The second advice from the data that we see is that 40% of the transactions took place within the first year after meeting the five-year minimum occupation period. And that period itself, on average, the owners actually make more than $300,000. If you move on to the second year, the profits that they make is only slightly more than those who sell within the first year. So when we look at some of these to weigh between holding longer versus the amount, say only, I think it's about $10,000 more. Maybe the first year after MOP give them the best returns in terms of holding period versus the amount of gross profits that they stand to get. But if they continue to hold beyond the five years, that's where you can sell to a wider pool of people. Because after the MOP, within the first five years, you can resell to Singaporeans and permanent residents. But once you hit the 10-year mark, you are eligible to sell to foreigners. And the profits for that jump up quite a fair bit, could be more than 500000 on average. Interesting observations. Maybe selling an EC after 5 or after 10 years works well. 
In Singapore, the government is building new HDB flats in prime central locations. The government does not want choice locations to become enclaves of the rich. We want to build diverse neighbourhoods and a socially cohesive society. Recently, I wrote that perhaps proportionately more government land sales sites can be released for building EC homes. For one, developers have been showing healthy appetite for EC sites. The recent Tenga EC site was hotly contested and drew a record price for EC land. Also, I argued that some sites in prime central locations should be used to build EC homes. For example, build EC homes in districts 10 and 15 or have residential components of integrated developments that are connected to MRT stations set aside for building EC homes. If need be, more restrictions can apply to buyers of prime EC projects. Zitik, do you see the government releasing more land for building of EC homes and possibly sites in central locations? We think that the government is likely to maintain the current policy of pushing out two to three sites for EC development. This is to maintain the supply equilibrium in the market also. Everybody is looking at a good supply of ECs, 1,000 plus units versus what the market can actually readily absorb. I think this is quite a good state that we are in. Should we actually have EC in more central location? Take for example, maybe the Greater Southern Waterfront. There is a lot of buyers who wants to stay in the Greater Southern Waterfront. If you do have an EC, and let's say your EC is going to be priced very competitive relative to a private project, then we can imagine how huge the demand is going to be. And that huge demand will probably also translate into how much is the developer going to bid for the land? Are they going to bid very high prices? The difference is that when they look at having BTO or HDB flats in the greater southern waterfront, they could manage the prices on their own by adjusting the subsidies. So they can still have that social aspect of maintaining inclusiveness. If they were to have an EC in a very prime location also, those who manage to ballot for the EC, it is actually very similar to striking a lottery, which is difficult to curb in a private setting, but also in a public setting like BTO flats, they will be able to control the lottery effect to a certain extent. I think it is important to help many young locals achieve their home ownership dreams. We want our young people to build families, careers and lives here. With our ageing population and tough economic challenges, we need to anchor our top talent here. Perhaps build more new ECs and build them in attractive locations. Let more citizens, whether couples or singles, have a chance to own a new EC. Maybe significantly raise the income ceiling of 16000 a month. Spending 2.2 million Singapore dollars on a new condo of around 1,100 square feet may be quite unaffordable for a couple earning 200,000 Singapore dollars a year. This is 11 times of annual income. The couple in this case busts the current income ceiling to buy a new EC home. Zitik, do you think the eligibility to buy new ECs will be expanded? And would you recommend a young couple buy an EC as their first home? I think there is room to look at reviewing the criteria of how you qualify to buy an EC. One of it is the income ceiling. As people get more affluent, this may be setting it a bit low for people to actually qualify to buy an EC. After all, EC is meant to address those who are sandwiched in between, priced out of the HDB BTO market, but yet they still find it difficult for them to buy a private property. 
this income ceiling, we think that it has to be reviewed at some point in time. We leave it to the government to decide on that. Because if we do not review the income ceiling, then the housing aspirations of the HDB upgraders or the younger generation may not be fulfilled. The other is about the allocation of EC for second-timers. We have limited that to 30% during the first day of the balloting. And what we have observed from recent EC launches is that most of these allocated units are all taken out with quite a number of the second-timers not being able to choose their units during the first month. And when the balloting opens up from the second month onwards, these second-timers have all come back in and they have shown that they are very eager to actually buy an EC unit. So there is actually some room to regard some of this allocation, whether from the 30% could increase it to say 50%, so that we can let more people, especially the upgraders, be eligible to move up the housing ladder. For a young couple who can afford to buy EC, and they have not been very successful at applying for a BTO, go and try for EC because the government has allocated quite a fair bit for the first-timer buying an EC. For the down payment, I would say quite a fair bit of the first-timer. We have seen that they are relying on the intergenerational wealth transfer. The parents do step in to help them to foot part of the down payment of 25%. Getting married is a joyful yet nerve-wracking experience. Buying a first home for any young couple can be both exciting and stressful. It is fun to do up one's home. You can style it the way you want. It is also great to have freedom and privacy from living independently. But choosing what to buy can create heated discussions. If the couple's two sets of parents live far away from one another, what locations should the couple consider? Maybe the couple disagree on how much to spend on buying their marital home. Spend more on a home and there may be a need to reduce spending on dining out, overseas travel and transport. Maybe the couple has to choose between a new suburban EC home that will be completed in a few years' time and a resale HDB flat in a prime location that is ready for immediate occupation. There are no easy answers for a couple buying their first home, but couples must learn how to work through making difficult decisions using both their heads and their hearts. Thank you to my guest, Lisa Tick of Hutton's Asia. Thank you, Leslie. And that's it for this edition of Property BT. Do join us for the next episode where we analyse the new HDB framework of standard, plus and prime flats. Hope this does not sound too much like streaming in schools. Are plus flats, which will be in better locations and come with more restrictions than standard flats, good buys? I'm Leslie Yee. Thank you for listening and happy property hunting. This is a podcast by The Business Times. Find more BT podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.